Welcome to season four of the Mod Golf Podcast. We kick off our new season with our coverage of National Golf Day from Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. If you're not familiar with National Golf Day, I was invited to attend the 11th annual event, which took place a couple of weeks ago. National Golf Day was created by We Are Golf, which is a coalition of golf's leading organizations working together to communicate the game's economic, charitable, environmental, and fitness benefits to congressional leaders. What started out as a lobbying opportunity for the golf industry, National Golf Day has evolved into something larger and more impactful than just the meetings with senators and house representatives. National Golf Day and We Are Golf is managed by the GCSAA, which is the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, the NGCOA, which is the National Golf Course Owners Association, the PGA, the USGA, and the World Golf Foundation. What started as a one-day event has now evolved into a two-and-a-half-day opportunity for the golf industry to let the nation's leaders understand the economic, charitable, environmental, and fitness benefits of the game of golf. I flew into Washington on Monday afternoon, and after registration and a briefing, I had a chance to mingle with a couple of the over 200 participants for the event. Until I arrived at National Golf Day, I was unaware of the impact and influence the GCSAA has on the game of golf. After a couple of conversations, I began to understand what a key player the GCSAA is as an engaged community of golf industry professionals who are passionate about supporting and growing the game. Here is one of those initial conversations. Hey, my name is Ryan Krausoffer, and I'm the general manager and superintendent of Westminster National Golf Course in Maryland. Good stuff, Ryan. Pleasure uh, to have you on the Mod Golf Podcast. So, we are at National Golf Day. We just had our briefing here, so we just all got in here on Monday, first day. And you're going to be involved quite heavily tomorrow for what's going on on the National Mall. Can you tell us a bit about that? And also tell us what brings you here, Ryan. What's your passion? Sure. Well, uh, what brings me here is I'm on the board of the Mid-Atlantic Association of Golf Course Superintendents, and we've really helped the GCSA with uh, organizing this whole event. And uh, part of my job tomorrow is being on the sod crew. We're laying about 7,500 square feet of sod on the National Mall. Uh, so that's about full tractor trailer load. So we've got 20 guys to get it down in about three hours. Wow. Obviously, uh, you've done this type of thing before. I take it this is not your first rodeo. But this is my first time at National Golf Day. You've been here before, have you? Uh, yeah, we started, uh, I've been coming several years. Uh, this is the second year for GCSA's uh, community service project. So uh, it's just a fantastic way to give back, uh, network with a bunch of golf course superintendents from across the whole country, Have a, share the same passion, uh, want to give back and love our industry, want to see our industry grow and uh, thrive. Now I know it's just not you that's here. I saw you over by the bar there. I had to drag you away from there with your beer. You got a whole crew here, don't you? So obviously you guys are part of your culture. You're really passionate about this as far as really giving back here for National Golf Day. Yeah, we're fortunate. The Mid-Atlantic Association Golf Course Superintendents, we have a uh, very, I would say, younger board and everyone loves to participate as much as they can. And uh, without these guys, our local chapter wouldn't be what it is today. Good stuff. So are you ready to get soggy? I hear it's going to rain tomorrow, so we're all going to be out there in our orange t-shirts and make it a little damp. But we'll persevere because it's really worth it. The, the effort here that all you, you are putting in and your group and the GCSAA is, is just phenomenal. So we thank you for that and uh, look forward to seeing you out there on the National Mall tomorrow, Ryan. I appreciate it. Let's hope the rain holds off or it might get a little muddy tomorrow, you know. <laughs> there we go. Good stuff. Thanks so much. So I was up bright and early on the Tuesday morning as we had to be on a 7 a.m. bus that was departing from the Hyatt Regency to the Community Service Project on the National Mall. This was year two for the Community Service Project. Over 200 of us were going to spend the morning helping to refurbish the green space on the National Mall and get it ready for the summer season. 
I was taken aback by the scale of the undertaking that was happening that morning. Companies like John Deere with the Golf Course Superintendents Association were providing a wide spectrum of services, from operating heavy machinery to aerate the acres and acres of turf that make up the National Mall, to volunteers on their hands and knees laying sod, raking gravel, and removing stones from drainage crates. I will say that four-hour transformation of the National Mall was impressive. The sense of pride and accomplishment on everybody's faces was well worth the effort and the community service project only helped raise the profile of the golf industry's ability to give back. Once I got back to the hotel, had lunch and cleaned up, I had the opportunity to speak to some of the people that were helping make National Golf Day happen. So I have the pleasure of interviewing once again Mr. Steve Mona, who is the CEO of World Golf Foundation, also involved with We Are Golf, and here on the 11th annual National Golf Day. So Steve, could you give us a background of National Golf Day and, and your involvement with it, please? Sure, I've been involved uh, since the start. And when we first came here, it's 10 years ago, so this is our 11th annual, as you mentioned. The group was very much smaller than what you see today. There was probably no more than 50 of us at the most. And we really were trying to feel our way through in terms of how would we represent golf to our nation's lawmakers and other influencers. And so from that humble start here 11 years later or 10 years later, 11 National Golf Days later, we have 235 people participating in various activities. We have the Community Service Project, which we had this morning. That was our second annual, 175 or so people at that. Uh, and we'll have the most meetings tomorrow. We'll have about 175 meetings up on Capitol Hill. In, in every case, educating members of Congress about the golf industry, but also moving and attempting to advocate on behalf of our legislative interest. So it's come a long way, trust me on that. I bet it has, and I had the pleasure of being out on the National Mall as part of the Community Service Project today. And I know you have this philanthropic background, and it's so important for you to give back, and we saw that, the physical manifestation of that today. Can you also talk about the the partnerships you have with uh, on the corporate side and how important it is for yourself and also the, the National Park Service here, too? Yeah, absolutely. So... What you saw today was a, a great blending of really three different sectors. You saw all the major associations and their members, but you also saw the corporate sector, as you mentioned, and Bayer being one, Rainbird being another, and then other entities that, that were involved also, but those were a couple that also provided good financial support and product to help us do what we did today. But then the third piece is you saw members of the industry from facilities all across the country come together and basically provide a level of support that the National Park Service otherwise wouldn't have. And Michael Stakowitz, who is the head of the turf management part of the mall, said that this really saves them about four months or so of work that otherwise his crew would have to do. And by the way, it wouldn't be done to the degree that it gets done by this group. So it's a tremendous win-win all the way around. Well, if we do the simple math, we were out there for about four hours and we had over 200 people. So we had roughly a, a thousand plus community hours donated. Not just people like myself that really don't know what they're doing out there, but you actually had professionals from the GCSAA, which is the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. To that, Steve, can you tell us the importance of the relationship and the partnership you have with them? It's hard to overstate it as it relates to National Golf Day. They have consistently, probably over the last five or six years, brought by far the largest contingent of members here, number one. Number two, they were really the impetus behind the idea of the community service project. And number three, 
their members, and most particularly the Mid-Atlantic section, which is based right here, make that happen. They're the ones that have the relationships with the, all those suppliers. They leverage those relationships. They organize all the teams. They're the ones, apropos to what you said a minute ago, or that who are the professionals that actually know what they're doing out there. So I can't say enough. I mean, I said this, and it's true. Without them, none of this happens. This whole National Golf Day, we're probably not sitting here right now because it's not that big of an event. And you might not be here interviewing me because it's not that big of an event without their involvement. Absolutely. I've had the pleasure of speaking to quite a few of them, and they're just such a passionate group, and they're here and, and show up in such an authentic, meaningful way. It's, it's really exciting and just gets me going in a very positive way also to contribute and participate here. So let's move forward to tomorrow. So you touched on this earlier, Steve, but let's dig into this a little bit more. So if our listeners understand the economic impact the golf industry has nationally, rather than me say the numbers, I'll let you, you have them memorized better than I do. So I don't think a lot of people realize this. They may think that we're just involved and our love for the game is only about growing the recreational side of participation, but as far as the workforce and the opportunities, can we, can we and that's when the real opportunity to grow the game in the industry of golf. So you can touch on some of the numbers and the opportunity we have in the conversations we'll be having tomorrow? Absolutely. Well, we just announced today at the National Press Club the latest economic impact report for golf in the United States, and it's $84.1 billion, which is a record high. We've been doing this now since 2000, so for 18 years we've done four different reports over that period of time. This is an all-time high. In addition to that, or as part of that, uh, almost 2 million Americans either make their living directly or indirectly from the game of golf. And to give you some context, golf is a larger industry in the United States than the spectator sports industry and the performing arts industry, among others. So it's got some size and scope to it. In addition to that, we're very proud of the fact that golf generates almost $4 billion a year for charity through primarily charitable events that take place at about 12,000 of the nation's 15,000 golf courses, which total about 144,000 charitable events a year that occur across the country. Those numbers are mind-boggling in a very positive way. Now, in your experience, Steve, have you found when you actually go up to Capitol Hill with the senators and House representatives, are they blown away? Are they surprised, or are most of them already dialed into this? Or this is, is this a huge re revelation for them? Well, it's a mixed bag because some we've been seeing for years now, and they're golfers themselves, and they understand it. In fact, I kid around that when we started, people had no clue, absolutely no idea. They just perceived golf as this little cottage industry that was a pastime for a certain segment of society, and we've successfully changed that perception over time. So some of them have our talking points down as well as we do. Now we're gonna have to update them on those economic impact ones because that just was announced today. But for most, I would say, and for the newer ones that we haven't had the opportunity to sit with, they have no concept of it, no concept whatsoever. So they are, to use your phrase, they're blown away in a positive way. They, they just didn't have any idea. When we tell them there are more golf courses in the United States than the McDonald's, that's very eye-opening too. And that's a true statement, by the way. I did not know that fun fact, so that, that's very interesting. So I managed to run into one of my previous guests, and that is Alyssa Gaudet, who is the founder of Women's Golf Day. Alyssa, great to see you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So, Alyssa, what brings you here to Washington, D.C. for National Golf Day? I'm here representing Women's Golf Day and uh, the industry. We all come here, converge for two days to lobby the senators and congressmen on behalf of the golf industry itself and some of the initiatives we'd like to see passed. Now, Women's Golf Day is coming up on June 5th this year in 2018. 
And from my understanding, you're, this is already expanding from the over 700 venues worldwide that you had and over 30,000 women participating last year. So you must be very excited about the traction you're getting and, and what are you looking for this year that's different or even bigger than last year? Um, I think what we're looking for is, of course, we like any expansion. Uh, the model has changed a little bit. There's a slight fee. So we're dealing with that and how we just wanted to have a better experience, more substantive experience. We've noticed some of the locations have turned it into a three-day event, Evian in France and Pinehurst. So there's a lot of neat things that are coming, and um, we just look forward to growing and getting as many women as possible involved in golf and hoping that they'll st stick with it. Well, with the Mod Golf Podcast, we are looking to be your Greater Vancouver ambassadors, and we already have some courses signed up that we've helped make that happen. And we do plan to be live at some of these courses to tell the stories of some of these women, hopefully some of them never played the game before, to get their insights. So that's very exciting in the future. So we look forward to that. So, well, thanks so much for talking to me today, and uh, enjoy your time here in D.C. for National Golf Day. Thank you. You too. After a keynote speech from Fox Chief Political Anchor and PGA Reach Ambassador Brett Baer, we were shuttled back over to Capitol Hill for a lively congressional reception for the remainder of the evening. We were back at it again on Wednesday morning as we boarded 7 a.m. buses to again cross the Potomac River for the National Golf Day kickoff. National Golf Day consists of two main initiatives. First, to set up and attend over 100 meetings with elected representatives to advocate on behalf of the golf industry. And second, to stage an exhibitor media area to help amplify the message. Golf Channel and major news outlets were present to interview the attending golf ambassadors, such as social media influencer Paige Sporanek. The National Golf Day exhibits were staged in the main foyer of the Rayburn Building, which is a House Representative building that sits right across the street from the U.S. Capitol. Senators, House Representatives, and staff were invited to drop by to learn about the economic, health, employment, and environmental benefits of the golf industry. Highlight exhibits in the Rayborn Office Building foyer included golf lessons and swing analysis for congressional members and staff from former PGA Teacher of the Year Michael Breed and LPGA teaching professional Deb Vangelo. A closest to the pin contest and putting challenge complemented the support provided by About Golf, Shrixon, Golf Tech, Titleist, and golf community building organizations like the First Tee of Greater Washington. I spoke with Michael Breed along with some of the other exhibitors and attendees to get their insights and perspective on what National Golf Day means to them. I had the good fortune of running, running into Michael Breed. Michael, how are you doing today? I couldn't be better, Colin. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. So, Michael, what brings you to Washington, D.C. for National Golf Day? Well, I think it's, you know, like you, it's a very important thing for all of us that are in the industry to make sure that the people on the Hill know what golf is doing in all the various platforms, whether it's a charitable thing, whether it's employment, all the things that golf does for our communities, the disabilities that people have and, and the ability that golf provides, just some of the things that, that are going on and to be able to get out and shake some hands and remind people of the importance of the game of golf, I think is paramount to everybody that is immersed in the game like you and I are. And I'm so glad that you're here because you are a true ambassador for the game of golf and the energy you have is unrelenting and we, we appreciate the efforts that, uh, that you make on the course and even more so off the course, Michael. So best of luck today and thanks very much for uh, talking to me again on the Mod Golf Podcast. Great to see you, Colin. Yeah, good to see you and congratulations on all the things that you're doing and have done. Thanks so yeah. much. Have a great day. Too. My name is Jennifer Poth. I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Operations Support Military Golf. It's a 501c nonprofit based out of Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. As we like to say it, we are reviving the golf courses that revitalize our heroes. 
So Jennifer, I had the pleasure of meeting you before we both headed out on a bus to the community service project today. And you told me your story, your entrepreneurial story, and really your passion and your purpose for what you're doing. Could you tell our listeners a bit about why you got involved in this and how you got started? Uh, the background is I come from a military family. Definitely would have followed in my father's Air Force footsteps if it weren't for a medical condition called an adrenal disorder that I was born with. But luckily, I took a different route. My father threw a golf club in my hand around age five, six, and I embraced it. I loved it. So I focused on continuing to play golf and then keep going through life. I wanted to be a collegiate athlete. I was recruited to play. But my first visit was to Texas A&M University. And with their military background and traditions and the Corps cadets, it was where I belonged. So I signed the letter of intent and played with them. After graduation, do you get a real job? Do you keep playing golf? I put the two together. I took a sports management degree, loaded up my single cab Chevy truck at the time to the hill, drove from Texas to Florida. Just the goal of working for the PGA Tour, but it ended up working out. I got hired immediately at TPC Sawgrass, did the golf club scrubbing, bags and carts, pick and range, just whatever needed to be done. Lo and behold, about six months later, I was asked to join ShotLink, and I did that for seven years, got to see a lot of golf and experience what's going on in the golf arena to a much different level. I accepted that I couldn't serve, but I always, in the back of my mind, had a passion and a desire. Perhaps I can serve those who serve, but how in the heck do I do that through the game of golf? It, it wasn't connecting until April 15th, 2013, Boston terrorist attack. I don't know, I can't explain it. I'm sitting on my back porch, ticked off at, at another attack on our country because I was in school during 9-11 and uh, watch my classmates at Texas A&M forgo their education to go active duty immediately. But anyway, back to Boston, it clicked. I played military golf, Air Force through my family and then living on the East Coast. Now I've had the pleasure and, and joy of experience Marine Corps golf and Navy golf and now traveling back and forth to D.C. Uh, this is our third trip. A lot of Army as well, so seeing a lot of forts. Seeing their aging and they're starting to look, well, just look their age. And, well, why? Why is that happening? What's going on here? Tax dollars aren't filling these voids and, and helping them out. And I learned, no, they're not. In 2011, appropriated funding was cut. They were required to be self-sufficient. And that's the way it is. So they're, they're having to work off green fees and car fees. That only goes so far. You put it where it has to go, which is tee boxes, fairways, and greens, but it doesn't leave for the other necessities that just are a must when courses tend start to age. So whether it's on-course restrooms, clubhouses, practice facilities, any part of it, that's where we want to fill the void and start helping the courses balance and equal the level of service and sacrifice that our service members are making. I saw the need, and it was a matter of getting the blessing from each department. Every branch's blessing. They, they work as a team, but they all have their own ways of doing things. Got the blessing, then, it, then just keep trudging forward. Then we had to pick a base. Where do we start? There's 145 of them total. Makes it 118 are stateside. The remaining 27 are overseas. You got to start somewhere, and we're headquartered in Jacksonville, Florida, where we have two naval bases. So we picked Naval Station Mayport for our first upgrade, and we're excited to say that we are going to start putting that to action this summer. 
Now, I love hearing stories, and I know you have more than a handful of them of positive responses you've got back from servicemen and women whose lives you've positively touched. Can you share with us at least one story of, of someone that has thanked you or come to you and said what an impact the work that you and Operation Support Military Golf is making in their lives? Plenty of stories, and that's what makes the long days not so long. I just always enjoy what I'm doing and a smile on my face because I appreciate and love the fact that we have the opportunity to serve everybody in uniform and their families. So my examples would be active duty. Golf is just that way of bonding with your family before a deployment or when you get back from a deployment. You spend four hours on a golf course and you have that. So they value that form of recreation from an active duty standpoint. Whether it be retirees, it's a way to say thank you, especially a Vietnam generation that did not get a thank you, in my opinion, for their service. So this is in their golden years, a way to say thank you by providing them their recreational outlets. Wounded warriors have come to me and being fitted with different arm and leg prosthetics and say the golf course is the fun way to get used to this new lifestyle. We accept it, we don't mind it, but hospitals get a little boring and I'd rather learn my new life and how to you know, move around on a golf course. And then um, even the families, I mean, it's, it's an amazing way and I'm an example of it, of how to connect with your children or your spouses or your friends. So if you're willing to pick up the golf club, I, I'm comfortable in saying we, are, we have the potential to affect everybody in uniform. Well, I could talk to you for the next hour about this, but that will fill up a whole podcast. So we're going to leave that as a bit of a teaser because I've already asked you, Jennifer, and I think you've agreed that we are going to make an entire Mod Golf podcast episode about your story. So let's leave it at that, and we will talk again, and, and perhaps we'll talk after you have that first base open or at least breaking ground, so we'll have even more fantastic stories for you to share with us. So thank you very much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm here with the gang from the First Tee of Greater Washington and kind of a little chat here. So we've got a full range of up-and-coming players, passionate golfers here, and I love to talk to each and every one of them. So why don't you guys introduce yourself? So who are you? Josie. Hi, Josie. How long have you been playing golf for? Um, since I was seven. Since you were seven. And you're 47 now? No. How old are you now? Ten. Ten. So you've been playing for three years. And at the first tee, so what level of golfer are you now at the first tee? Par. That is unbelievable. I'm never going to play you for money because I have a feeling you beat me every single time. So I saw you chipping the ball out there before, and you actually got one right in the middle there. That was very impressive. So you've got a really nice swing. So that's good stuff. Can I ask you another question, Josie? What cool thing have you done so far? What do you like more, the putting or the chipping? Putting. The putting? Have you got any in yet? Yes. Yeah. It looks super tricky, doesn't it? Because it has to go through the Washington Monument, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, thanks, Josie. Well, have fun today. It's great talking to you. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. So, hey, next, who do I have here? I'm Alex. Alex, nice to meet you. So, Alex, how long have you been playing golf for? Uh, this is my seventh year. Seventh year? And what brings you to National Golf Day today? How, is this the first time you've been here? Yeah. It is. Same with me. So what's the most unexpected or awesome thing you've seen so far? One thing that you, uh, that you really like? Um, the golf swing assessment. Nice. So you've already been over, and that is with our friends with Golf Tech. So what do they think of your swing over there? Um, it needs work. <laughs> Don't we all? It's a game, at, even at my age. I, I believe me. I played for a long time, and there's still lots of room for improvement. So how often do you get out and play in golf there, Alex? Uh, in the summer, I play about once a week, and in the winter, I go to class like once a week. 
Gotcha. Very nice. You keep that swing as smooth as you can there in the wintertime. You don't let it get rusty. So what do you like out here better today, the putting or the chipping? Chipping. Chipping. So have you managed to get any in the, the glasses there? Yeah, I got like two in a row. Nice. Well done. Well, I'm not going to be playing you later because obviously you're, uh, you're a ringer. So, hey, Alex, have fun the rest of the day here at National Golf Day. Thanks. So who do I have here? I'm Mika. Hi, Mika. How long have you been playing golf for? How many years? Uh, this is going to be my 10th year. 10th year. And I see you're actually mixing it up a little bit. You have a cast on your left arm here. I don't know if that's actually, you've got that on here to make sure you don't break your wrist on your putting stroke. Tell me about that. What, what happened? Is that a golf injury or what happened there, Mika? Uh, no, I broke my wrist about a week ago playing football. Playing football. See, it's those contact sports. That's the thing about golf. So you won't have that unless you're like a Tiger Woods and you wrap an iron around a tree from the, getting out of the woods. So how have you found it affecting your putting and your chipping here today? Um, it's definitely making it interesting to play. Chipping um, and my full swing are definitely a bit hard if I can't grip the club. But my putting seems to be improving, so that's helping. Good stuff. So with the first tee, how did you first get involved? How long have you been involved with it? I don't quite remember how I got involved with the first tee, but I've been there for, this is going to be the end of my ninth year, and I usually play three or four sessions a year in the spring, summer, and fall. And yeah, it's good stuff. Nice. And what is it about the first tee? Can you name one thing that you really like? Is it like the friends you have? Or why don't you tell me, what's, the, what's your favorite thing about that keeps you coming back for nine years with the first tee? I think it's definitely the ability to talk to these PGA professionals and these golf pros who can help me with my swing and, and help me improve and also just teach us valuable life skills and lessons. Great answer. Well, thanks, Mika. Have a great time here at National Golf Day. Great. Thank you. And last up, who do we have here? Grace. Grace. Hi there. So, Grace, I've seen, you've been crazy active here. You've been over at Golf Tech with the swing analysis. You've been over at About Golf with the simulators. So you're wearing this place out here and also chipping and putting. So what's been your favorite thing so far here, Grace, to do today? Probably the putting. The putting. So are you having bets with Mika and some others here? Are you, are you winning some putting competitions so far? How's that going? Well, I have maximum of eight holes and ones, which is more than anyone. Eight holes and ones? That is awesome. Congratulations on that. I'm done. Oh, got Alex in the background shaking his head. No, I don't know. I may have to actually get a third party to confirm this. I, I'm going to take your word for it, Grace, that that's the case. So, hey, is this your first time at National Golf Day? Uh, yes. It is. With the first tee, Grace, how long have you been involved? This will be my seventh year. Seventh year. And do you remember what it was that got you involved in the first place? Well, my brother was doing it and then my mom asked if I wanted to do it and I was like sure. So your mom dragged you along with your brother like you had no choice but you've been here for a long time so obviously it's stuck otherwise you would have found something else to do so I take it you really like golf is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah and what's your favorite part of golf is it driving, chipping, putting what do you, what do you enjoy the most with golf? Driving. Driving. Okay I gotta ask you this question. Can you outdrive your brother, even when he doesn't have a cast on his arm? Definitely not. Definitely not. And he's shaking his head in the background. He's like, no way, Jose. So, so there's going to be no trash talk here between the two of you. Well, I saw you working on your swing there and, and getting your, your weight distribution from back to front. So who knows? You keep working on that. Maybe you'll outdrive him soon enough there, Grace. I doubt it, but maybe. You never know. You never know. That would be awesome if you did. I'm sure it would be fun to see your brother cry in front of you the day that actually happens. So hey, I want to thank all of you guys here from the first tee of Greater Washington. It's been wonderful talking to you all and have fun at the rest of the day here at National Golf Day. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you.
Colin, I'm Clint Sanchez. I'm the executive director of the First Tee of Greater Washington, D.C. So Clint, I did have a chance to talk to four of your young members here with the First Tee of Greater Washington, and I had some, including your daughter, and she's awesome. She's chipping right now, and she's, uh, she's making, I don't want to play against her. She's, she's pretty darn good there. Can you tell us, with the First Tee of Greater Washington and National Golf Day, your connectivity to this event and what it means for you? Yeah, we've been coming here for the last five years on National Golf Day. We really represent the first tee. When we're here, we're the closest chapter. You heard Steve Mona talk earlier about the first tee and the national office, the numbers impacting 5 million kids. Our chapter, we have over 1,500 kids in our life skills experience program and over 100,000 kids in the national school program in, this, in the schools in PE. Wonderful. So I'm going to exclude your daughter on this next question, but could you tell us personally with the first tee of Greater Washington, can you tell me a success story that you're really proud of? Yeah, there's so many success stories, Colin. I would say one of them would have to be a young man named Cameron Mills. Cameron is a freshman in high school right now, 14 years old. He has juvenile arthritis in most of the bones in his body. But if you saw his golf swing, you would not know that. He's got a long, languid swing. But more importantly than that, he's got a great spirit. He never says no when we ask him to volunteer for an opportunity. He comes to every class. I'm at Langston Golf Course right here in Washington, D.C. And he's just a tremendous asset to our program and just a tremendous young man raised by a single mother and just has a really dynamic spirit. And he's going places. I would say that's one success story. I'd give you one more success story, too, and that's a young man named Victor Fuentes. Um, Victor was actually here yesterday at the briefing where Brett Baer spoke. I'm not sure if you were there. I was. Yes. Oh, good, yeah. So Victor has been in our program for six years and is a senior in high school and was just named an Evans Scholar, which means he got a full ride. Evans Scholar Foundation provides scholarships to kids who caddy and have caddied for at least three years and uh, have shown a great knowledge of golf, but also have, have a great need. And he's definitely a, an awesome kid. He's got a full ride to Penn State. And that's, that wouldn't really have happened without golf, without the first tee. Those are two diverse yet amazing stories, and thank you for sharing those with us. So I get to see the passion just radiating from you here of, of how much this means to you and your involvement. This is more than just a job. It sounds like you go too far to say it's a calling, but it sounds like you've really found your place here and what gets you out of bed in the morning. Is that fair to say that? Uh, it's more than, more than fair to say that, and I think that's why we're all here. You asked me, I think the first question was, why am I here for National Golf Day? It's just all the benefits, all the positive things that the golf industry is doing. I think at the forefront of it, in, in terms of youth development, the stories here are amazing, and our kids really, yeah, help me get out of bed every day, for sure. That's good stuff. Well, Clint, thanks so much for joining me today and sharing your thoughts on National Golf Day. Hey, thanks a lot, Colin. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Uh, the name's Lewis Myers, Commissioner of the Congressional Golf Association. So, Lewis, can you tell me about the Congressional Golf Association and why you're here at National Golf Day today? Absolutely. The uh, Congressional Golf Association was born from an idea. You know, I've been playing golf for a few years and having been on Capitol Hill for six years, I said, hey, there's no formal organization or umbrella where golfers can come together to meet, network, talk about business and grow the game. And so it only made sense to get off my butt and do something about it. And so started the Congressional Golf Association about a month ago. We've had about 75 staffers reach out thus far. 
to lend their support. We did our first meeting this past Friday. And one of our missions is not only to bring folk together because the golf ball has no partisanship. It doesn't know if you're a Democrat or Republic. So it's an opportunity to bring people together who might not be in the same spaces. We're also trying to introduce the game to more minorities as well as youth in the community. So there's some community service outreach initiatives associated with the program as well. Wonderful stuff. I like that line. The golf ball is not on either side of the aisle. It's right in the middle of the aisle, I guess you could say. There you go. It should be. I mean, we try our hardest to keep it in the fairway. (laughs) Well put. And I can see we're standing here at the demo area for National Golf Day. And I can see with senators that are going to be coming down here and their staff a little bit later. There's absolutely no reason, no partisan reason for people not to love golf. So I see what you're doing here is you're really the connective tissue to bring people together on both sides and also, as you mentioned, through the diversity aspect to grow the game. Where I see, and I'm sure you see also, Lewis, the huge opportunity for golf in the future to unlock other segments that are underserved in the golf market right now. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a misconception about the game. A lot of folk only interaction with the game of golf is through TV. They just see people hitting a little white golf ball and they say, that's easy. But sometimes you got to nudge and urge people to actually get out there, take a few swings, and then they realize, hey, it's not as easy as I thought it was. And that's part of the mission as well is to grow the game. And National Golf Day is a perfect highlight and an excuse to come out here and spread the good word. Between We Are Golf and CGA and a few others who are partnering up, this is what it's about. I wish there was a camera here to see all the activity in the room, but this is what the golf is about, and this is what we need more of in order to encourage more people to get out there because you made a perfect point there, Colin, that we have to grow the game and get it in the hands of youth so that there's a next generation to follow up. Well, I'm excited for what you're putting together. This is very entrepreneurial of you, Lewis, so best of luck with this. Sounds like you're just getting started. We'll definitely have to stay in touch. I'd like to talk to you down the road to find out how this is scaled up here on Capitol Hill. Absolutely. I have your information. We'll be in contact. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Steve Jubb. I am CEO of the National Alliance for Accessible Golf. It's a golf industry alliance formed by all the major players in the golf industry, such as the PGA Tour, PGA of America, LPGA, etc., and the USGA, which is one of our biggest funders. And our goal is to ensure that the game of golf is accessible and inclusive, which means that it's inclusive of people with disabilities. There's 57 million people in this country with a disability, roughly. Of that, about 10% of that number currently play despite their disability, but there's a big segment of that population that would love to get involved with our game of golf And that's our goal is to try to work with that number and get them involved to whatever extent they can because of their disability in the sport of golf. We do education of the golf industry to how to make your facility and your programs accessible. We provide funding to grassroots programs that are doing those type of programs. And we're an advocacy and promotion group as well to make sure that the industry as well as the public understands that golf can be for everyone which is kind of our tagline as an organization. And we'd love to see that happening through programs such as PGA Hope with the PGA Reach, PGA for America, working with veterans to get them involved in the game of golf. And the impact that those type of programs at the grassroots level has makes a positive difference in somebody's life. We're starting to see more acceptability in the industry for making sure that golf is accessible and inclusive. The goal would be that I see is that there's a foursome going down the fairway. There's a woman for gender diversity. There's an ethnic minority in that group. There's the average Joe or Jane out there as well. 
but there's also an individual with disability. And that's really what I see as inclusive golf. And that's our goal as the National Alliance for Accessible Golf, to make sure that the industry and the public understands that golf can be open for everyone. I can hear it from your voice. You're very passionate about this. So what was your epiphany or that inflection point that had you jump all in that you're making this your life's work now? Well, oddly enough, I just wrote that in my monthly blog on our website, which is accessgolf.org. I was assistant golf professional at a small nine-hole course in Winter Park, Florida. Some of our players there were aging, but they also had disabilities. And there was one gentleman who had a wooden left leg, and he was a right-handed golfer, so he pivoted around the wooden left leg. He was a three-handicapper, and you didn't want to bet him for money because he would take you to the cleaners. Unfortunately, he did with me a couple times. <laughs> but and also, from an age perspective, there was a couple that lived in a condo near the golf course. They would come out in the morning, play nine, go back for lunch, take a nap, come back in the afternoon and play another nine every day of the week. And they would shoot probably about five over par for nine holes every time they came out, which was pretty remarkable because they were 90 years old. Wow. And so the epiphany that I had at that point as a young assistant golf professional was this game can be for everyone. That's where I started down the track of really wanting to be involved in getting people with disabilities or were aging in this population into this game. And so that was kind of my epiphany moment relative to going down this track. Well, thank you for sharing that. So that inspired you out of the gate. You did share with me earlier a couple of success stories that inspire you every single day. Could you share one of those with us? Sure. When I worked for the PGA of America for 25 years, the latter part of my tenure there, we started a program called PGA Hope. And I helped develop that while I was there. And it was primarily focused on our military and our veterans, many of which had disabilities, of getting them out of the hospital, out of the rehab facility, out of their home and engaged in a recreational sport in our case, golf. We started a program at Fort Sam Houston Golf Course in San Antonio, working with Brooks Army Medical Center. The bus pulled up that day, and the last person off was this young sergeant who, because of his involvement with Iraq, had lost both of his legs. He was a double amputee. He didn't want to be there. He was mad at the world. You could tell that right off the get-go. We put him into one of the adaptive golf cars that we had there and I made it a point to make him my student for the day. So I took him out to the range, gave him a few pointers, and first shot he hits, 185 yards down the range. And this grumpy, mad-at-the-world guy had this biggest smile on his face. And so I, I worked a little more with him. I went down the line and worked with a couple patients from Brooks Army Medical Center. Later in the day, this young sergeant came over to me and he said, Mr. Jubb, I didn't really want to be here today. I thought my life was over because of what happened in Iraq and what happened to me. But I found out today something, and that is when I go back to Iowa, I can still play golf with my family and friends, and life is not over because I thought it was. It just blew me away what he said. And so that's kind of an example of the positive nature that golf can have on people, especially those with disabilities. Wow, thank you for sharing that story. That is so inspiring. Well, why don't we leave it at that? Steve Jubb, thanks so much for sharing the story and the story of the National Alliance for Accessible Golf. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today and all the best here for the rest of the day at National Golf Day. Thank you very much, I enjoyed it.
My name is Delphine and I am the president and founder of Lancier Communications and Consulting. And we are a company that works with golf courses, superintendents, GMs, and also PGA Tour to custom design a coloring books about wildlife and nature on golf courses to encourage kids to explore golf from a very different angle. Now with that angle, you just showed me your coloring book. It's, it's beautiful, by the way. What was your inspiration for actually creating this? And what kind of feedback and traction have you got so far with your coloring book? Well, I used to belong in a tiny club in upstate New York called Pine Haven. And I was in the ladies league and all the parents were asking me, what can we use to encourage our kids to come play golf with us? For you and me, golf is so exciting. Like We dream, sleep, breathe about golf but maybe not for a six-year-old. So I go out there, walk with them, and then find out that all they really love is the nature so far. So we want to hook them in, right? So I created a bingo sheet and to say like, if you get these things like maybe a squirrel, a sparrow, and fish, and butterfly, if you see these, come back to the pro shop and we'll give you a sleeve of Pro-V. And they love it. And I've been using this, expanding this, and I'm doing more and more coloring page, and we are doing monarch butterflies. And on the coloring page, we'll talk about the life cycle of monarch butterfly, when you can expect to see them on your golf course, and you can track them. We have QR code you can track to see where they're coming to visit you. It's just to teach kids how much nature that is, and also teach their parents that golf is not only not bad for the environment, but it's really good for the environment. Wonderful. So how long have you been at this with the coloring book? Is this the first year, or you've been doing it for a little bit of time? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I used to work for an environmental organization for golf, and I have started my company exactly one year ago, and we have been doing different PGA tournaments, and it was just so great, and we have just hired our first zoologist, and we have the science and math education advisor. We are such a team of passionate thinkers and, and innovators, and it's just so great. And it's been a really humbling journey, and to come here at National Golf Day to work with everybody who loves this game as much as we do is amazing. It is incredible here, with, as we're standing here for the opening before we go on Capitol Hill, and there's just such a diverse group of people here, and it's wonderful the fact that you are part of that diversity. It'll be interesting to see as in the future, it'll be even more diverse. There'll be more people looking more like you and perhaps less like me. That's but not a bad thing looking like you. <laughs> That's a, well, thank you very much. But it must be exciting for you to have the opportunity. They're really embracing, especially with women. How are you finding that as far as the golf industry accepting you and the, and the potential and the opportunity for women in, in the industry as a business? Wow, that is a great question. I am fortunate enough to, I have really, really great a relationship with GCSAA, and they definitely see the potential of our book. And with women being the dominant decision maker in every household, every family sees the potential of raising a kids in a nature environment. And to have women really focus on this, and I think when people see what I'm doing, they can see like it's this is a not only just a woman behind it, but a woman who cares about her family, who cares about the environment, who cares and loves golf. And I think that speaks to everybody, and not just women, but everybody who loves and cares about nature and golf. Absolutely. So have you found already with some of these kids, 
that you're engaging with a coloring book? Are some of them now, for the first time, getting a club in their hand and giving it a swing? Are you finding that correlation already? Yes, and I again, I'm really fortunate. I was tasked by the Ministry of Education in Taiwan to create a book that's for kids in Taiwan who have never even seen or been to a golf course before. And they just kept thinking this is not for them. It looks boring, it looks expensive, but we have to break all this myth. And if we're not telling the story, who will? So this was last summer. And when I went back again, the kids are coming up to me. They remember me and they, Miss Delphine, we did this. We not only, we play around what well, they play nine hole, we play a half round of golf. And we also saw these animals and different things that we planted for to attract the butterflies. They cannot wait to share the excitement with you. And to me, that is so rewarding. And wow, I bet I can see the smile on your face here for this. Well, Delphine, thanks so much for talking to me today. And I look forward to seeing you on the next day or so here at National Golf Day. Thank you, Colin. Please keep in touch. I'm John Spagnola, Director of Marketing for Golf Tech. My friends at Golf Tech are here at National Golf Day. John, what brings you guys here today? Well, first and foremost, as always, we're trying to help people play better golf. So we got a little swing analysis set up. We're providing it for anybody that wants to stop by the booth, take a look at their swing. We got our motion measurements, video cameras, and our coaches are analyzing everyone's swing. Good stuff. I know you guys are, are truly committed to growing the game in, in a meaningful way, and it, obviously you wouldn't be here if that wasn't the case. So well, how did it work out? What was the connection with Steve Moner? How did you guys end up here today helping out at National Golf Day? Yeah, I think overall Golf Tech is a great story for golf. We're a growing company. We've had continual growth. We have centers across multiple countries. We're continuing to buy or provide opportunities for PGA professionals. And there's sometimes a narrative that golf's slowing down, and we're not seeing that at Golf Tech, and we want to share that. We want to be contrary to that narrative, saying, hey, we're growing, we're doing great. We're getting more people in to take lessons, to get better, to take club fittings. Playing better golf means more rounds for golfers as well. So you're going to get a couple of senators down here today and fix their golf swings? Yeah, we'll do our best. But yeah, we definitely should be able to give them a quick few pointers and make them play a little bit better. How you doing? I'm Chris Larson with About Golf Simulators. Hey Chris, nice to meet you. So Chris, tell me a bit about About Golf Simulators and what you were doing here at National Golf Day and what this experience means for you and the company. So we're, we're here for National Golf Day to allow a few instructors to give lessons and let some people be exposed to the game of golf. And there's obviously a lot of golfers that come through and there's other people that have never experienced the game. So you can see Deb here right now is, is actually teaching somebody how to hold on to a club. So it might be their first time they've ever taken a grip. So it's exciting for us to help grow the game, and we want to do what we can to, to keep it going. Now, you had mentioned to me earlier, this is not your first time here. You guys have been here seven years now out of the 11, is that correct? I believe Ed has been here seven years, uh, and I've personally attended, this is my sixth year. Obviously, About Golf and About Golf Simulators is very dedicated to growing the game by being on the grounds. Have you found in the past, or even looking forward to today, to perhaps helping the golf swings of a couple of senators if they happen to swing by? We do. It's one of those that no matter which way they vote, we still try to help them out. <laughs> there you go. That's very diplomatic for you, to grow the business on both sides of the aisle, right? That's right. That's exactly right. Thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. I'm here with Rich Katz, who is the founder and managing director of Buffalo Agency. So, Rich, to get us started here, for our listeners who are not aware of the fine work that Buffalo Agency does in the golf industry, can you uh, let them know what Buffalo Agency does? Uh, sure. We're a 15-year-old integrated marketing firm that specializes in golf, and we have a 55-person staff, and we represent some terrific brands in this terrific industry. Everything from USGA, we do work with the PGA, Echo Golf Shoes, PGA National, Whistling Straits, the list goes on and on. And it's our goal here to leave the industry in a better place than when we found it 15 years ago. 
and I certainly know that you walk that walk. So it's not just the corporate side of golf that you're involved in. You truly do give back and have an impact on the community building with some of your clients, which brings us to why you are here at National Golf Day. Can you tell us, Rich, about your involvement and Buffalo Agency's involvement and what National Golf Day means to you and the company? Sure, we're here to promulgate all that's good about golf the economic, the social, and the environmental contributions to society. It's really unknown to many legislators who have an impact on how golf is treated in the world of how much impact the sport brings, not just to the discipline of people in the business world and the relaxation and the open space, but also the creation of jobs, 1.89 million, the creation of wages, 54 plus billion, it's a big industry. It's hardly cottage by any stretch. It is not, and we just saw the new data released on the impact the industry has on the U.S. economy, and it's at $84.1 billion now overall, as compared to $70 billion when it was measured five years ago. Can't do the math in my head, Rich, but that's at least probably about a 15 to 20% increase. You're smiling here, so you're and nodding, so you also see that the game is in a lot better shape than it was a few years ago, and really the future for not only the game on the recreational side, but also the workforce and the industry is, I'm bullish on it. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. It's a 22% increase over the past five years. A lot of that's attributed to a proliferation of new golfers in golf entertainment centers like Top Golf, taking up indoor and outdoor simulators and hitting the driving range. The building of homes within golf course communities is huge as well. People want the security and the serenity of being within arm's reach of a golf course. So it's really taken off. Participation has dipped, but that doesn't really matter because the latent demand of golf, by some accounts, is about 42 million people in America say, I'm either somewhat interested or very interested in picking up the game of golf. Now, I have to ask you this question because I get different opinions from my guests on the podcast. Do you consider playing golf 18 holes traditional golf is the only measure of playing golf or do you also believe like a lot of others that there are other variations that count as golf physical activity is golf and golf is physical activity as long as we get people out there enjoying themselves and playing to the levels they desire good bad great or indifferent it really is immaterial Rich, I'll leave it at that. It's great to see you again, and thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Colin. To promulgate all that is good about golf. I have to thank Rich for providing me with the word of the day with promulgate, which I had never heard before. If you're also new to the word, don't worry, I looked it up. It means to declare and officially make something known. To wrap up my time at National Golf Day, I'll turn back to my conversation with World Golf Foundation CEO and We Are Golf Chairman, Steve Mona. As you and I sit here, I can say this because both you and I are middle-aged white guys and there are the majority of people here today also fit into that category. We do have a nice sprinkling of women, but I would have to say less than 5%. Uh, we do have some ethnic diversity here, but I know something that, that's so important, crucially important and, and meaningful for you is diversity and inclusion and making, as you said previously on, on our podcast episode, making golf look like America. So how do you see moving forward here? And what message are, are you conveying here these couple of days, Steve? So in the next couple of years that even this event on the ground here will start to look more like America. Well, what I talk about apropos to that point is the changing face of golf. And here's what I related to over the last five years. So this is 2011 through 16. Junior golf participation has grown by 20%, 500,000 more kids 
2.9 million compared to 2.4 million play golf than did five years ago. But what's more important about that, that's a great stat, but what's more important about that is that 33% of junior golfers are girls and 33% of junior golfers, it's just coincidental, are ethnically diverse, either African-American, Hispanic, or Latino, or uh, Asian-American. And so when you compare that, golf generally has 24% female participation and 20% diverse participation. So all of a sudden you go to 33%. Those are the things that will start to change the face of golf. And so we're very bullish. It's gonna be generational, Colin, that's all I can say. We, we're going to make strides, and we're focused in four specific areas. We're focused on the workforce. We want our workforce to look like America. That's really what you're talking about. We want our recreational players to that be reflective of America. We want the suppliers that we do business with, the people we buy goods and services from, to be reflective. And this is probably the toughest one of the four. We want the competitive golf scene to look like America. I define competitive as high school golf and above, college golf, PGA Tour, et cetera. And that's a tougher one, but we think we can get there. So it, that's going to be a long pull. Uh, but some areas we have much more control. Our workforce, you know, I'm a CEO. I make a lot of hiring decisions. And so we buy lots of goods and products and services from different vendors. We can control that. So I really emphasize the changing face of golf. And the industry thanks you for that. And, and the great news is, is you're not the only one with the oars in the water doing this on your own. I know that with the PGA of America, with Sandy Cross, and with what you're doing with the task force that you have, the Millennial Task Force, and with Dr. Michael Cooper with the Diversity Task Force, that there are a lot of people out there from different walks of life that are all moving this forward together. So I'm excited also for you and for the industry. I'm very bullish on it also, and I think we have a very bright future in this industry and this game that we love. Well, Steve Mona, CEO of World Golf Foundation, thank you very much for your time today. It's great to see you again, and thanks so much for letting me be here this week. I'm enjoying my time, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Good. Thank you, Colin. It's a pleasure to be with you. As I headed back to the airport after three exhausting yet fulfilling days, I had a chance to reflect on the experience. I had the opportunity to deepen my relationship with some of my previous Golf Innovator guests, but even more rewarding was connecting with the half dozen or so entrepreneurs that I met for the first time. Events like National Golf Day provide the opportunity for cultural collisions with people I would otherwise not have the chance to meet. These collisions lead to meaningful conversations, which create the foundation for sharing and developing ideas. My biggest takeaway from National Golf Day is I now have four new amazing future guests whose stories I'll be sharing on upcoming episodes. And one of those people will be next week's guest, as I sit down with Gianna Rojas, who is the founder and president of Adaptive Golfers. Gianna is a major golf industry influencer and public speaker, who is known as the one-handed lady golfer. Join me next week to hear her inspiring story of perseverance and tenacity. Lastly, I want to welcome our Season 4 sponsor partners. We are excited and proud to have Golf Tech as our title sponsor, along with supporting sponsors Fairway IQ, British Columbia Golf, and Nextlinks. Without their generous support, the Mod Golf Podcast wouldn't be able to bring you these unique golf innovation stories. Our sponsors will provide you with discounts, promos, and contests all season long, and our title sponsor has one for you now. Golf Tech is pleased to exclusively offer our Mod Golf Podcast listeners $50 off both a swing evaluation and TechFit custom club fitting. Go to golftech.com forward slash modgolf to book at one of the over 200 Golf Tech improvement centers located near you. That's www.golftech.com forward slash modgolf to begin your golf improvement journey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more of our golf innovation stories on previous episodes at www.mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. 
And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.